Nice to be back here with you and uh, sharing the word. And uh, to answer Greg's question, this is not a continuation. I think that uh, with two Sundays we did something in the Old Testament. It's only fair we should do something in the New Testament. So we're going to uh, do a little reading in uh, the book of Acts. If you want to turn there in your Bible to Acts chapter 19. Um, It's a quick explanation as to uh, how I got into this message. Um, A year ago, the elders at our assembly in Waterbury decided that uh, for our winter Bible study series, we're going to study the book of Ephesians. And uh, different brothers shared that, and we went through the book. And um, we had a good time, and the Lord blessed it, and um, answered some questions, but raised some others. And one of them um, really spurred on some private study of mine, and I decided to share where I'm at with it right now with you. So I, I won't say any more about that right now, but let's just read, and uh, I apologize that we're only skipping around, but I'm just trying to give you a flavor of uh, the overall picture here, that what we have is Paul, the apostle, in his third missionary journey um, and his time at Ephesus. That's what this is about. Obviously, the connection there is that studying the book of Ephesians, want to know a little bit about... Um, How did this work get started? And so we have that in Acts 19 and 20. So let's just read a few verses. Acts 19 and a little bit of verse 1. Came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper borders, came to Ephesus. So this is the notice of where Paul arrives in Ephesus. And then if you look over to verse 8, It says he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened and believed not, but spoke evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. And this continued for the space of two years so that all they who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Gentiles. And then go down to verse 19. Many of those also who used magical arts brought their books together and burned them before all men, and they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver, so mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. And then just a couple more verses over into chapter 20. Chapter 20 and uh, verse 17. And from Miletus, he, that is Paul, sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, You know... From the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons. And then finally, verse 28. 
Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Spirit hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. Let's just take a moment and uh, ask for the Lord's blessing. Thank the Heavenly Father for the assurance that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. And so, Lord, we approach this very profitable uh, subject and uh, reading this morning with expectation that the Spirit of God can teach us something and that that something might be life-changing. Help us to be good students and uh, discern what is uh, written here and help me, Lord, to speak clearly that I might share what I've been learning. We ask it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Um, Three things I'd like to do briefly before we uh, get a little bit more deeply into the passage I want to look at. Um, First of all, I want to say a few things about Ephesus. And secondly, I want to say a few things about um, the Lord's love for people. And finally, I want to just take a very quick overview of uh, this section of Paul being in Ephesus, just so that we might all be together on the same page and get an idea about what <coughs> what's going on here. So, um, first of all, a couple words about Ephesus. Uh, one of the things that I've been con- uh, convinced of as I've been studying is that Ephesus, in some ways, is really a model local church. Uh, almost, you could say, a pattern local church. Let me tell you why that is. It's the only assembly that we know of where we have the record of how it got started in Acts, and we have a book written by the apostle to it, book of Ephesians, and we have a letter addressed to a full-time Christian worker, Timothy, who was at Ephesus, and we have a letter from the Lord Jesus, the first of seven in Revelation chapter two. Um, no other New Testament church comes even close to that. So um, that really kind of makes it, I won't say in a class by itself, but it certainly calls for us as believers to pay attention and look carefully at it. Uh, I'm impressed by the fact, or I was as we went through the book of uh, Ephesians, that Apparently, there was no serious doctrinal or moral errors going on at Ephesus, so Paul could really take time and and speak about really high things. He didn't have to spend a lot of time, like in Galatians or Corinthians, correcting problems. And um, that's nice. So that draws my heart to an interest in this this assembly. And then secondly... um, Thinking about God's love for people, and we know that the Bible says God so loved the world. I hope you know that. That's square one, right? God loves people. But if you think about some of the groups of people that God loves, and I don't want to make this hard and fast. I'm just telling you what came to my mind. Certainly loves the body of Christ. It's his church worldwide. Certainly loves individuals and families, people, like all of us. Certainly loves the local churches. 
one by one, wherever they are, including here at Brantford. He certainly loves groups of leaders, and uh, he loves lost people. And so as I look down through that list, I think, well, the body of Christ, all you have to do is read Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3, and you see a lot about the body. It's like the Lord says, sit down and never mind what you're going to do. Sit down and listen to what I have done for you. That's amazing three chapters of God's grace. And he has blessed us with all spiritual blessings, right? So God loves the body of Christ. And then he loves the individual and the family. And uh, as we went through Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, you see um, the Lord there giving instructions to husbands and wives and parents and children and servants and all the rest and how to stand in spiritual warfare. And so um, we get a lot on that subject and more in some of the other books. As far as the local church goes, well, <clears throat> we find a lot about the assembly in Ephesus and how it got started right here in Acts. We find a lot of instruction to Timothy in the book of 1 Timothy, and you might include 2 Timothy there because Timothy was probably still at Ephesus. There's a lot of material there on the local church, and certainly the letter of the Lord Jesus in Revelation chapter 2 was addressed specifically to the church at Ephesus. I wonder if he wrote to our churches today, what he'd say, what would be in the letter? You might, if you like exercises, sometime try and write a letter to um, the church and, and see what you would say. So the Lord loves the local churches. He walks in the lampstands and inspects their light, and that's on his heart. And the Lord certainly loved leaders. I mean, we have in Acts chapter 20, we read that Paul gathers the elders from the church. They were a known group. He didn't just say, whoever thinks he's an elder, come on over. He said, go and call the elders. And they came, and uh, beautiful Beautiful material kind of breaks down into two parts. First part is Paul's testimony of the time he spent with them. And the second part is what they're supposed to be doing. And every elder, I'm sure, is pondering this Acts chapter 20. And I read verse 28 because probably a, a key verse, take heed to yourselves and to the flock. So if you don't pay attention to yourself as a leadership team, you're not going to be effective with the flock. But then the last group is lost people. The Lord loves lost people. And um, I think it's interesting as you go through this amount of literature that uh, there's not a lot said about how to win lost people. Um, in fact, in the over 300 verses, 330-some verses, in all that literature I mentioned to you, um, I can only find one verse about it. Now, it doesn't mean that that's not important to God. It's very important to God. But it seems to me that um, winning lost people is the result of an overflow of the heart. 
not a program. Now, I'm a supporter of VBS and movie night and all the rest of it. We have it where I am, and uh, thank God for every outreach. We need them. But I think it's important to realize that not only with outreach, but also with our worship and our service, really everything we do, it works best if it's the overflow of a warm heart. Have you found that? Have you found that to be true? Um, come before the Lord and uh, you sense, uh, are the hearts just overflowing? Uh, when people serve you, is it like, well, I have to do this, or I got this assignment, or I'm on a list? Or is it, I just love you, I just am, I just want to, give to you and help you and bless you makes a difference, doesn't it? And same with outreach. If it's like, well, I'm in this program or here, God wants me to do this or whatever, it's different than if it's just, let me tell you about somebody who has has changed my life and I care for you and he cares for you. So uh, when we look at these groups of people, we, we find that God takes an interest of them, and we know that because he puts something in his word about them. But that led me to ask a question which is very pertinent for us at Waterbury right now, and that is, um, does the scripture give us tips or hints or ideas about how the church is to grow? In other words, are there things here that we could read, like in the book of Acts, and say, well, that's interesting, but that's just history. That's just the writer saying this is what happened. Probably won't be the same for you. Then I thought about that verse in Timothy where it says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. So we look at these things then as more than history. I hope you read, when you read Acts, you read it as more than history. I hope you read it as something profitable for today, for your life, for the church to understand. And I want to just focus on one little section here. Let's take a minute and just quickly uh, think about the overview of what happens. Paul is on his third missionary journey. Uh, we know because um, we are told in Revelation by the Lord Jesus himself that that area of Asia Minor was a satanic stronghold. Um, he actually says that in one of those churches in that little area, it was where Satan's headquarters was. That'd be a scary place to live, right? Where Satan's headquarters was. And so Paul and his, his group, they go up through Galatia in their first journey. In their second journey, they go through Galatia and they come to Asia Minor here And you remember the Holy Spirit says, no, you cannot work here. And so then they cross the water and they go over into Macedonia and we read about Corinth and Athens and Thessalonica and Philippi. And they have a very fruitful ministry over there on the second missionary journey. But the Spirit of God said, no, you can't work in Asia Minor. I think maybe there's a hint there that you're not ready for this. This is a satanic spiritual stronghold. When there are believers over here in Galatia praying, and there are believers over here in Macedonia and Greece praying, 
he comes his third journey, and it's like the Lord says, now. You could go now. And here's where we are in the third journey. So in chapter 19, he comes and finds some disciples, gives them some more light. That's in verse 1 through 7. And then we have a little section that I read in verse 8 through 10, where he works there for two years. And then from verse 11 all the way to the end of the chapter, you have, um, we might say, satanic warfare, spiritual warfare. Uh, the enemy is angry. And we could see um, maybe why the Lord didn't work let him work there too quickly. And then when you get into chapter 20, we find that Paul does what he always does. He goes back on the road. You know, he didn't say at Ephesus, well, you know, I've been with you two years and you love me and I love you and this is a nice little church and I'm going to settle down and become the pastor here. He says, goodbye. I'm on the road again. And uh, he leaves. And he goes out and he travels, and beginning at verse 17, he doesn't want to go back over to Ephesus because he can't take the time, so he calls the, Ephesus, the elders and he says, come on over here, and he gives them this wonderful address in Acts 20. So really, Paul's time in, in Ephesus working there is found in Acts chapter 19, and we want to think carefully about that. And I want to focus with you on one section there, which we read, and to try to make this easy for those who are remembering or outlining. Um, I want to give you four words, try to follow and remember, that I think make a picture for us. Let's look back at uh, chapter 19 and verse 8. Now, don't lose sight of what the goal is here. The goal is to not find something legalistically that we have to, quote, do. That's not our goal. Our goal is to say that Ephesus is obviously important for the Lord to preserve all this material. What can we learn? How can it speak to us today? What insights can there be to help us um specifically in our outreach to people. Okay, <clears throat> verse 8, it says he went into the synagogue. Paul was a Jew, a respected Jew, knew Hebrew language. This would be important for him to start where he was, uh, where he had an open door. He did this in most every city he went to, went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning God. So you can picture Paul going into the synagogue and having the open door then to really talk to people about the Lord Jesus and the kingdom of God, the way of salvation, and so forth. But then in verse 9, we read, when some were hardened, in other words, their hearts were hardened, they did not believe, but spoke evil of that way before the multitude. In other words, there's getting to be like a bad uh, reputation or a bad testimony about the message Paul is bringing. And he didn't stay there and say, well, you know, 
there's always unbelievers, so let's not worry about them. I want you to notice very carefully what it says here. Two things. First of all, he departed from them. And secondly, he separated the disciples. That's a good, that's a good, uh, insight for you if you're leading, raising children or leading a Sunday school class or working with younger people, whatever. Paul does it first himself. He departed and then he separates the disciples. He says, we're not going to stay here. We're not, we're not going to throw, as it were, the pearls of God before swine and let them walk on them. We're not going to do that. So he leaves and he separates the disciples. It, you don't read he separates the, um, you know, the crowd or the people who are seekers or hangers on or fringe people. It says he separated the disciples. And what does he do? He's disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. He goes next door or down the street or wherever, and there's a school not being used there. And he goes in there, and he's doing something with them. So the first word I would give you then is the word separation. And uh, we don't want to be grumpy people that can't get along with anybody. That's not what God wants. On the other hand, um, we do believe in separation sanctification, right? Uh, holiness is part of the Christian message. And if you have any doubts about using this word separation, remember uh, what the word church in English comes from? The Greek word is ekklesia. You remember what that means, that word? Ek, out of, klesia, called. The called out company. Isn't it interesting that God designates the church that he is building in this age by that name, the called out company? Folks, don't be afraid of separation. In fact, many times God doesn't bless Christian work because of a lack of separation. In private life, in church life, it's important. So Paul departs from the synagogue and separates the disciples. That's our first word. And uh, you just take that and meditate on it and let the Lord speak to your heart and see how and if that might apply in any situation in life and in the church. Second word, and this is the one that I find most fascinating uh, in the whole list. We read in verse 9 that after he separated the disciples, he disputed daily. Um, our English Bibles don't always have an easy time with a word like that. If I was to say it for you in Greek, you would recognize it's very much like a word we use. The Greek word is dialegomai. Dialegomai. It's a word from which we get our English word dialogue. And this is what Paul was doing in this school with the disciples for two years. I looked this up in uh, Strong's and some of the other um, con commentaries, and uh, <clears throat> it's interesting how they define this word. I want to read to you a couple definitions. One says, it is reasoning, and some of your Bibles may use that word, reasoning, right? Reasoning, the process of giving and receiving information with someone 
to reach a deeper understanding. Now, we do this at home, don't we, all the time? We do this in our in our business with our friends. One thinks one thing, another thinks another thing. We say, wait, 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 let's... Let's talk this over. Let's, let's reason this out. Let's discuss this. And if somebody says, look, this is going to be a one-sided discussion. I tell you my opinion, and that's the end of it. I don't want yours. Husbands, don't do that to your wives. Um, it's not a good way to make a marriage get to be one. No, you want to do what this word means. You want a dialogue. Let me read that again. The process of giving and receiving information with someone to reach a deeper understanding, this is important for reaching people. Here's another definition. A going back and forth of thoughts and ideas. I like that. Going back and forth of thoughts and ideas. This is what Paul is doing. Um, One other writer said this, and I'll just read it. Doing this is perhaps the most telling characteristic of the growing Christian. By the way, this word is used 13 times in Acts and related material, and it's interesting to see all the times when it is used where they're doing this. Doing this is perhaps the most telling characteristic of the growing Christian. You know, being in the Lord's work, we get to be at people's homes, go for dinner or stop in or whatever, or they come to our home. It's really interesting. On one hand, you don't want to put people on the spot or embarrass them. Um, but other, on the other hand, if all you're talking about is, you know, the ball game or the weather or uh, politics or worse, or the pandemic, um, it's not really distinctively Christian. So you like to have some little spiritual discussion, not only because you enjoy it, because it's a good barometer of where they're at. And you go into somebody's home and you <clears throat> mention something about the Lord or the Bible and they go, <laughs> yeah, obviously embarrassed. Why? Because that's not a subject that they want to dialogue about, because it's not where they're at, Right. If you go in somebody's home and you bring up something about the Lord or, you know, the church or salvation or whatever, and they go, oh, I'm glad you mentioned it. Can we talk about that? Or they share their view. Um, it's refreshing. So the second word here is dialogue. Paul dialogued with these people. Now, look at verse 10. It says, this continued for the space of two years. This is not a little short-term thing. This is Paul working and working hard for two years at Ephesus. And look at the next line. So that all they who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Folks, that is classic outreach. All they who dwelt in Asia... Could we say that about Bramford or about Connecticut? All they who dwelt in Connecticut heard the word of the Lord? I wish we could. So I really, I really pay attention when I read this. Do you think Paul was saying, okay, I'll dispute with you guys, um, for a couple hours, but then I gotta get back out because everybody in Asia, I gotta tell them. Obviously not. 
How are all the people in Asia hearing? Well, the disciples are coming into the school and they're dialoguing, they're reasoning, God is warming and touching their heart, they're excited about the message, and they go out and they tell others. That's really biblical key to outreach. Really is. And that process continues, you know, as people are reached, then they get excited and tell others. And pretty soon it says, all they who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus. So obviously then the third word is growth. And we want to look at our testimony. We want to look at our work and say, is God really blessing this or am I just pretending? Um, well, that's, that's, that's important. And then the fourth word, inevitably, with this kind of a goings-on, inevitably, the fourth word is warfare. So let's review here. We have separation, we have dialogue, <clears throat> we have growth, and we have warfare. Time's almost gone, but let me just summarize the warfare here. Um, God is doing miracles. We should see some miracles. Um, maybe not the kind that some people think or want, but it's miraculous when people get saved, right? It's miraculous when lives are changed. Anyway, there was miracles. There was also <clears throat> demon involvement. You can read about that here. Uh, the enemy is at work. We certainly see that. We see the burning of books. In other words, it wasn't just yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian, but it's not affecting my lifestyle. It's like this stuff that I've been involved in is wrong. No, we're not having a tag sale because the church could use 50,000 pieces of silver. We're setting it all on fire as a testimony. There was book burning. There was uproar <clears throat> at the local stadium. You could read about that. Uh, business was disrupted. The financial market was shaken. Um, local religion was disturbed and upset. There was persecution against the, um, the apostles. You know, one thing that I think is quite interesting is you read this. All that stuff I just mentioned, not one of them was caused by Paul or the apostles. This is all stuff that's happening as fallout because the gospel has come. I think it's an error when we begin to think that the church is responsible to straighten out all the issues in society. You know, it's our duty to straighten out all the social issues in society. I don't read that. I read when people get saved, some of those issues begin to get straightened out. They'd have in your life, and they do in towns and cities and all the rest. But anyway, um, tremendous work of God. And so what is the outcome then? Well, the outcome of it is that an assembly called the Assembly in Ephesus was formed. And Paul writes some of the most exalted truth of all God's revelation to the Assembly in Ephesus. And he preserves it for over 2,000 years 
so that you and I could study it. And I hope you do. All right, I want to end with just one verse in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. You know, if you were here last week, that I've also been uh, studying in Hebrews. And I want to close with a verse. Um, This is an application verse. I hope it will speak to your heart. We were thinking about Abraham and <clears throat> last week and how God led him. And then in the middle of the Abraham section, um, about verse 12, um, you get a kind of a summary of all the faith people. And I just want to look at one verse, verse 13. It says, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them far off, were persuaded of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Um, That'd be a good model to follow as you're discipling young people or friends or loved ones. Look at it again. Verse 13, um, it says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having first seen them afar off. Maybe that describes you when you first got saved, right? Okay, I, I see it. I believe it's way off there. Um, but then you grow. You follow the Lord and you grow. And then at second, secondly, it says, they were persuaded of them. And by God's grace, as you go along in your life, you come to a point where you say, you know what? I used to just try to keep the peace and say my prayers and read my little piece, but I'm becoming really, really convinced and persuaded. That's a great step in discipleship. That's what we want to see. And if you have children and they say to you at some point, I've been thinking, turn your ears on, um, I've been reading, and you know, um, isn't it amazing this or this or this? When you see them becoming persuaded, that's a good sign. And it's a scary sign if there's never a time like that in their life, but they seem to be more and more persuaded as they look at the world that this is where the fun is, the real life is. But it doesn't stop there. It says, seeing them afar off, persuaded of them, and then look at this next word, embraced them. Now, I know you're not all huggers, but some of you are. And uh, if you like to hug then you understand this word. It is that distance does not express my feelings toward you. I want to hug you. Embrace. Husbands, wives, well, at least used to do that. Hopefully still do a little bit, maybe. Maybe. Um, Embrace. So disciples come to a point, and I can tell you as you get older, get toward more toward the end of the journey, it's like more and more I'm finding that nothing else matters. It's all just stuff. It's not important anymore. And what I have seen afar off, and then what I became persuaded about, now I literally throw my arms around it and say, this is everything. This is everything. 
That's what you want to see. But it doesn't end there. It says, finally, they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. In other words, it begins to change the way we talk. It begins to change the way we talk in our conversation. We're looking forward to seeing the Lord and our home. And um, and that's really a good thing. So uh, let me just leave that all with you and think about those four words. Uh, in some respects, be good to really evaluate our separation. Um, ask the question, do we really dialogue with people? Do we really give and take, reason with them, listen to what they have to say? Do we see growth? Is God really blessing it? Is there some, some evidence? And then finally, is the devil man? How's the warfare? And um, that's one of the surest signs that you're doing something right. All right, let's pray. <clears throat> Thank the Heavenly Father for time spent together in the Word. Um, forgive us when the world's talk has taken up so much of our time and minds and thought and discussion with others. And uh, help us, Lord, to purpose uh, to dialogue in spiritual things. And we ask that there would be, as a result, a harvest of souls as we listen to and reply thoughtfully to others. We thank thee for this uh, lesson in the Word, and we ask a blessing on it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.